0: The reading this evening is Romans chapter five, verses one to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word.
1: Evening everybody, Uh, my name's Phil. If we've not met, it would be lovely to meet you afterwards. I'm associate minister here. Uh, Do keep that bit of the Bible open. There's an outline which will let you know uh, when we're finally nearing the end uh, and help you take notes if you'd like to. Uh, Let's pray as we look at God's Word together. Father God, we ask that you would give us minds that are clear to understand your Word and hearts that can recognize truth. And we pray that, whether we're new to these things or familiar with them, that we would know the Lord Jesus and his salvation, that we might trust in him and find life and hope. Amen. So the, the book, that, um, one of the books that uh, Liz recommended uh, should come up as a slide, Stephen Emily Foreman. It's an incredible story of what happened we died before we came here only a few years ago the family went out to um, a a majority Muslim country to to tell people about Jesus so that people who wanted to find out could could hear more and to work with some of the local churches very soon after they arrived uh, the husband got into an argument and uh, with some people who didn't like what he was doing and they came and sought him out shot him dead wife Young children. They go back home, as you'd expect. What you don't expect is what they do afterwards, which is to go back to the same country where he has been killed to carry on the work. I mean, why would you do that with young children when your husband's already been killed? Absolute lunacy. Hundred years earlier, uh, the other chap you can see there, William Borden, he was a A very wealthy scion of an American society family. Just uh, finished studying at Yale, and uh, he was setting out as a philanthropist, really. He was uh, giving away lots of money, and he had the world before him. But he heard that China was desperately in need of people to go out as missionaries. And so he said, I'll go. People told him, don't be crazy, You're, you're, you're wasting your life. You have everything in front of you. Why would you of all people go? But he said, no, I'm going. He never made it to China. Um, he, the, the boat stopped off in Egypt on the way and he was taken very ill. And as he lay dying in a room in Egypt, he scrawled in his diary and the final entry reads, no reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. Why would people live like that and die like that? Why would you risk everything to go and tell people about Jesus? The answer actually is in the passage we just read. The the eagle-eyed amongst you may think it was a slightly odd choice. It's World Focus Sunday. And if you were concentrating during the reading, you'll have noticed there was no mention of mission, missionaries. No mention of the nations. Not even any mention of evangelism anywhere in the passage. But turn on with me uh, a couple of pages further to the end of Paul's letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 15... And Romans chapter 15, verses 23 to 24. Now at this point, uh, Paul is wrapping up the letter. He wrote uh, from Corinth in about AD 57. And we see why Romans 5 is a very appropriate passage for World Focus Sunday at the end of the letter as we look at Romans 15. Paul has just been explaining uh, that his particular life mission is to take the gospel, that is the central message of Christianity, of how sinners like us can be saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's been explaining how his life mission is to take the gospel to people who don't yet know Jesus. Let's pick it up at verse twenty three. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. He means um, uh, what is now modern Turkey and Greece and that sort of and the area around uh, um, the, the Holy Lands as well. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, that is in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. In other words, one of the primary reasons for Paul writing the 16 chapters of Romans is so that the church in Rome is fired up to support him as he goes out to be a missionary to Spain. And how does he do that? How does he get a church excited about taking the gospel out to another country? what he does is write the fullest, longest, deepest explanation of the central message of Christianity, the salvation of Jesus Christ, anywhere in the Bible. That's how he prepares a church to support missions. That's how he prepares a church to get excited about sending people to tell others about Jesus Christ. So in other words, if you're a Christian here tonight and the truth is you're just not that excited by world missions, you're not if you're honest, not really involved in praying or supporting uh, the work of of sending out people to, to, to tell others about Jesus Christ, if it just doesn't actually grip you, then the first thing that you need is a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that you need. That's the point of Romans, is to do that for us if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're very welcome. And in fact, you've picked a very good evening as well. You may not be thinking of becoming a missionary. It may seem rather unlikely you will be at the end of tonight. But what we're doing tonight as we think about that is looking at the central message of Christianity. What's at the heart of it? Strip away all the cultural nonsense. What's at the heart? And actually, there are lots of places in the, in the letter of Romans we could have turned to. But I wanted to look at Romans 5 so that the Spirit can fire us with two particular truths about God. Two things that are equally crucial to his character and equally crucial for you and me to know about him. And they are the love of God and the wrath of God. The love of God and the wrath of God. Three points. Uh, Firstly, in Christ we have certain future hope of final glory. In Christ we have certain hope of final glory. So let's dive in at uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That's a summary of Romans chapters 1 to 4. God's promises to save sinful humans like us are fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus and they're received, cashed in if you like, by faith, by trust in Jesus. And that means that we are in a right relationship with God now if we trust in Jesus. And that's a permanent thing. You see verse 2, it says, it's a perfect tense verb. We stand. We stand in this grace. Perfect tense. Past completed action with a present ongoing implication. Because of what Jesus has done in the past... You and I get to, in from now and forever, permanently enjoy access to God through him. That's the result of Jesus' death and resurrection in the present. Today we get to enjoy that. But what about the future? What happens in the future if you trust in Jesus Christ? What do you look forward to? The second half of verse 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast, we glory, we delight in the future hope. Because of the promise of the glory of God. What does that mean? It's The hope of the glory of God is basically Bible speak for one day God is going to remake the universe. And if we trust in Jesus, we will be perfect as he is perfect. And we will live in the perfect world that he is preparing just as he is going to reign over that perfect world. Now, boast here is not the same as brag. It means it's the thing that we're excited by, the thing that we look forward to, the thing that we are thrilled about when we consider the future. That's what it means by boast. You could also translate it rejoicing or or glorying. It's boast in the sense that if someone said, as they often say to me, you're wasting your life if you're a Christian. It is a waste of your life. Why would you follow Jesus? You're in a modern country, a modern city. You don't have to have a religion. Why would you bother? The answer is, waste my life. Are you joking? Don't you know what God has promised for the future if I trust in Jesus? Okay, well, what has God promised for the future if we trust in Jesus? Well, I've got dodgy knees, uh, not just to look at. um, But but when Jesus returns to bring us to glory, I'll get a new body. And I'll be able to run 10 kilometers without feeling like I've been kneecapped with a hammer drill afterwards. I'm looking forward to that. I've got a heart that's full of muck and filth. But when Jesus returns to bring us to glory, I'll see a beautiful person and I won't be tempted to lust after them. I'll just be able to appreciate beauty. I am pathetically self-centered, to be honest. But when Jesus returns to bring us to glory, I'll be able to hear about the amazing success of a friend and not feel envy or grumbling about myself. I find that at times, as wonderful as this world can be, it can be pretty grueling and disappointing and discouraging. But when Jesus returns and brings us to glory, I will wake up every day in the new creation knowing that there will be no difficult conversations to have that day. There will be no funerals to attend. There will be no broken relationships to mend. I all know that that day, as every day in the future, in the new creation, we get to live in a world where there's no sin, no corruption, no oppression, no disease, no decay, no pain, not even any death. Glory really will be glorious. That's why we look forward to it and boast in it. Now, to boast in glory, well then, seems a pretty obvious thing to do. I mean, if that really is going to happen in the future, you would be excited by it. What comes next is probably less obvious. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why would we boast? The word translated uh, glory is the same word as boast in verse 2. Why would we boast in sufferings? Why would we boast in the very things that we're looking forward to being released from? The things that we cannot wait to escape from? that ruin this life? Why would we boast in them? Look at the second half of verse three. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. As we look forward to the future, there is a sense, if you trust in Jesus, that you can even rejoice In suffering, because, as Paul argues, suffering helps toughen us so that we make it safely to God's promised glory. Uh, This is a picture of a guy called Ross Edgeley. It's not a picture of me, um, before you ask. Uh, Ross Edgley is... Uh, I hope that's not causing anybody to sin after talking about lustful thoughts. The uh, um, Ross Edgley is a strongman endurance athlete. What on earth does that mean? Uh, it means he ran a marathon in 2016, and it took him 19 hours. Who here has run a marathon quicker than 19 hours? Hands up. There's a few I know have. Yep, there's a few things. I think I know where this is going, so I'm going to be... He was towing a car. <laughs> he decided... Uh, Last year, he was going to swim 60 kilometers between two Caribbean islands. It's not that tough. It wasn't the Arctic, but still, 60 kilometer swim. But that's too easy, so he towed a 45 kilo log while swimming, as you do. Not being a great swimmer, he had to work his way up. So he started by suffering through a 10k swim, and then a 20k swim, and then a 30k swim to toughen himself up. He built the perseverance, he built the endurance through what he suffered so that he would make it through the glorious feat of swimming 60K, which is an extraordinary thing. Now look, um, the Bible has an awful lot to say about suffering and you can get very, very warped and dangerous ideas about God if you take just one passage as if it says everything. But one of the central things that the Bible says again and again that's taught in this passage too is that one reason why God permits children he loves to endure suffering that's painful is that it helps us to persevere. It toughens us so that we will keep going because suffering will come in this world and one day all of us will have to cross the river of death. And God wants us to make it safely through. And so he does bring hardships because they... They teach us to to keep going. They wean us off materialism and worldly comforts. They train us. They strengthen us. And in the mystery of his providence, God uses these hard things to ensure we make it to the glorious future he's promised. But of course... There is always the question, okay, he's promised this future. Do I know I can trust these promises? I mean, it sounds wonderful, but I don't want to be an idiot and give my life for something that turns out to be a crock. How can we trust them? Well, verse 5 talks about his trust not putting us to shame. In other words, he's saying, you won't look like a fool if you put your trust in Christ, if you give up stuff for him now. You won't look like a fool in the end if you've lived like that. You're not an idiot if you sacrifice now to serve Christ. Why? Look again at verse 5. This hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. What what he's saying there is that uh, one of the things that happens when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God comes to live in you by his Holy Spirit. And one thing that the Holy Spirit does is enable us to... To feel experience the love of God, to so know that God loves us, that actually it 's not just a, an intellectual, a cognitive thing, it does drop down and affect how you feel, and that leads us to verses six to eleven, because the question comes, Paul, you say we can be sure about future glory, and you say one of the things that should make you sure of that is that you feel god 's love for you now, but How do I know that that subjective feeling is reliable? And Paul's answer in verses six to eight is that we've got objective grounds to believe that subjective feeling of God's love. And he teaches us that in Christ, we have objective proof of God's love for us. That's the second thing we see. Verses six to eight, look look at these verses with me. Verse six, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you a question. Does God love you? Where does your mind go? Once you've got past the yes or no, the binary bit, where does your mind go for the proof? What do you think about when you think, does God love me? Am I healthy? Am I in a fulfilling relationship? Have I got a job? Can I pay my rent? Where does your mind go? What things do you think about when asked, does God love you? To answer whether we're right to, to think that God loves us now, Paul takes us to something that happened a long time ago. He takes us to the cross. Uh, there's, a, there's a 2008 movie starring Will Smith called Seven Pounds. It's not your usual Fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of Will Smith idiot movie. It's a, it's a little bit more serious than that. He plays a man who ruins his life with a couple of seconds of stupidity on the roads that kills seven people. It's not a comedy. He's, he's ruined his life. Killed seven people, including his fiancée. And he resolves that the only thing he can do, he just can't continue living, the only thing he can do is to make up for it by saving seven lives. And so he decides he's going to commit suicide, and he's going to give his organs and his money to seven people to atone for what he's done. But what's interesting is the way he goes about it. He basically spies on people to work out whether they're worthy. So there's a a blind guy he's thinking of donating his eyes to, and uh, he he meets the guy at his workplace and treats him really badly and mocks him and verbally abuses him. And the guy is gentle and gracious back, and so he, he passes the test. But then there's another chap that he goes to see, and it turns out he's an abusive care home owner. So he's crossed off. He's not getting anything from him. And of course, it's Hollywood, so the person that he was going to donate his heart to, he falls in love with, of course. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that the way he works it out... Your, you, the whole movie is crafted in such a way that you agree. You know, the, the expectation is we agree with his methodology. If you are going to give this great gift of life to somebody else, if you're going to give a life-transforming donation of your money or your or your body, they've got to be worth it. You don't want to give it to some abusive care homeowner you want to give it to the love interest who is a very worthy person but look how God works out who he will save God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us Jesus came to die for us when we were ungodly. That is when we were the opposite of God. God is true. God is love. God is life. God is compassion. God is self-sacrifice. God is gracious. God is generous. That is godly. And you and I are ungodly. That's what's right to feel. To feel That God loves you if you trust in Jesus. Because he died for you and me when we deserved nothing but punishment. That is real love. Okay, so what should you do if you you say, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like God loves me if I'm honest. Well, we're told in verse 5, it's the Holy Spirit who pours God's love into our hearts. And in another one of his letters, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 2, which we were studying last term, Paul says that you receive the Holy Spirit by believing God's word with faith. You receive the Holy Spirit by believing with faith. So if you don't feel like God loves you, the answer is not to to sort of pray, God, help me to feel that you love me more. Please help me to feel that you love me more. No, the thing to do is to pour over God's word, and in particular what it says about our sin and our saviour Jesus Christ, While praying that God will enable you to believe those things and to feel what you believe. You know, one reason we confess our sins at church is so that we feel God's love more deeply. I was chatting to a, a couple of the guests who were here on Thursday night at the Beer and Bees and, uh, and they were asking about church and I was explaining that we c- we confess sins together on Sunday and they said, oh, that must be a bit embarrassing. Do you ever find yourself laughing at the things people say? And I suddenly realized they thought that what happened was the microphone got passed along and you basically just said, you know, wow, that, he was like, no, we don't do that, and, which we're all rather glad about, I guess. Um, but the reason we confess our sins publicly, in part is it's because it helps us to know the love of God. As we recognize what I am like and what I deserve and yet how he has treated me. You see, the more, the more I realize how ugly and impure my heart is, the more I realize how utterly undeserving I am of God, the, the more amazed I will be that this God should forgive me and the more I realise that, the more it gets into my thick skull, the more it will warm my cold heart. Now I know that some of us here do not feel worthy of God. We feel a weight of guilt as we arrive at church and we may even live in fear that others will see through us and see what we're really like. And the thought of a God who really can see into our hearts and see how really we are, well that's terrifying. But at the cross, as Jesus dies, we find a God who loves us in spite of all that we've done. A God who welcomes us and a God whose love doesn't have to be earned and deserved. And so a God whose love is not lost when we prove less than worthy. A God who loves us whatever we think about ourselves and a God who loves us whatever other people say about us. See, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is God saying to you and me, I know that you are a wretched sinner. But I want to forgive you and I want to change you because I love you. That's what the cross means. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Thirdly, finally, in Christ we have sure salvation from God's wrath. Now in the final verses, uh, Paul returns to the theme of hope, our confidence as we face the future. Verse 9, since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now verse 9 might appear a little bit confusing. Uh, Why does Paul talk about us needing to be saved if we are already saved? Why talk about God's wrath again if, if we've just heard that God loves us? Why would we still be worried about God's wrath? Now, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are fully and finally saved. He's not undermining that at all. His point is simply this. All humanity must pass through God's judgment day. Between this world, this era, and eternity stands God's judgment day, and all of us must pass through that. There will be a great as well as dreadful day in history when god's just wrath will be poured out on all the wickedness and the perversion and the sin of humanity and no human sin will escape unpunished because god is good and god is just and there is no way round god's judgment throne there are no passes there's no there's no way to avoid it every human must stand before god's judgment throne and the question comes to each of us what is your plan On judgment day. How are you going to play it? What are you trusting in? Verse 10 to 11. What is your hope in the face of God's day of wrath? If while we were God's enemies. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled. Shall we be saved through his life? The basic point is an argument from the, from the greater to the lesser. If that's how God treated us when we were his enemies, well, then you can be absolutely certain he'll look after us now that we're his friends. See, God is just. He cannot ignore what is evil and depraved and selfish, whether it's in my heart or yours. All people must stand before him on judgment day, and Christians do not get a pass. God is just. All sins must be punished on judgment day. And just as we've lived our lives, if we're honest, shutting God out, so justice demands that he shut us out from his goodness eternally in hell. And the only way to be safe is to trust in Jesus because he is the only one who has absorbed the punishment from God, the death we deserve in our place on the cross. He's been to hell for us. Nobody else has done that. And so he is the only place to trust. What is your plan for Judgment Day? I remember as a, a kid, we were on summer holiday in Britain, in Cornwall, on the Lizard Peninsula. And uh, it, was a, it was a typical British August, horizontal rain, temperatures about like today, and stormy winds. And one night, um, after uh, a British day at the beach, um, and um, we were pretty unhappy with life, I think. Uh, and that evening, uh, Dad said, I think we should go for a clifftop walk in the storm. Which we weren't all that thrilled about until Mum said, "I think it's a bit dangerous out there." At which point, as a nine, ten-year-old, oh, "Great, <laughs> dangerous! I'm sure they'd cook the whole thing up." Mum just wanted us out of the house, but they're you know fantastic. If it's dangerous, we're up for that. And so, so Dad took us along the cliff path, right to the edge of the cliffs, very high cliffs on the um, on the South Cornish coast. And there was a massive storm out at sea, a really, really big storm. And you were having to lean like this just to sort of stand up in the wind. And as the waves crashed in, you could actually feel the, the cliff juddering. under the, It was awesome. Slightly terrifying, but awesome. You would have had no chance in that sea. I don't care how strong a swimmer you are, Ross Edgeley or anybody, you would have had no chance. That storm would have taken out anybody. The only safe place to be was on the rock, on the land. And if you're on the rock, you are fine. And you see, you and I, as we think about the the day of God's wrath, the day of judgment, no matter how good I might think I am, no matter how well I compare to the rest of humanity, I have no chance of surviving the judgment of God. The judgment of a perfectly holy God who can see right through me right down into the depths of my heart. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, he is the rock. He has died your death. He has suffered your punishment. And so to stand on him is the only safe place on that day of judgment. And if he has absorbed your punishment, then you have nothing to fear. You are safe on the rock. Okay, so what? What are the implications for you and for me as we As we think about this passage well paul 's main point is that, look, if you should put your trust in jesus that 's his main point. Put your trust in Jesus because if you do, you have joyful, solid, robust the only hope for the future, and it is a wonderful hope. But on world focus Sunday, I want to take us in a in a slightly different direction and close by thinking about the difference this makes the way that we interact with other people, the way that we use our time. You see, there are two great realities at the heart of this passage, the love of God and the wrath of God. And if we grasp them properly, they really have to change the way that we treat other people and the way that we spend our time and speech. Uh, To use the language of verse 11, if we truly understand what Jesus has done, we will boast about him. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. We will boast, we will tell others the wonderful news of eternal salvation that is freely available to all people through Jesus Christ right now. That when something is unimaginably good as the love of God, the undeserved, rich unimaginably good love of God is on offer to all people. When something that good's on offer, we ought to share it with everybody. We ought to want all people to know of this love. But if we're not moved by the love of God as we should be, then perhaps the wrath of God will move us. Statistically speaking, one out of every ten people in this world is, uh, is a committed Christian who's living it out. Actually, uh, it makes a real difference to their day-to-day life. Two out of ten people would be sort of nominal Christians, where they you know turn up to church maybe a bit, but it doesn't actually make any difference to how they live. Of the rest of humanity, four out of ten, well, they've heard about Jesus, but not interested, to be honest. And that leaves three out of ten people, which is two point three billion inhabitants of this earth, and they have no idea who Jesus is. Today, 50,000 people will die who've never heard of Jesus. Tomorrow, another 50,000 will die. And the day after that. And the day after that. When the gospel message of Jesus is such an urgent message, the only salvation from the just wrath of God, how can we not do something? How can we not? Five very quick things to think. Uh, Perhaps one or two of these might be relevant for you. Firstly, uh, start local, welcome internationals, learn and pray, send and go. Firstly, start local. Uh, Very few people are going to go and become a missionary to Saudi Arabia tomorrow, but start tomorrow. Don't cross the world, maybe, but why not cross the corridor? Talk to somebody, invite somebody to one of the lunchtime services around the city, invite a friend to church. Start where you are. And wonderfully in London, uh, secondly, welcome internationals. Wonderfully in London, we have the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with people from all the nations. There are 300 people groups in London, many from places where it's illegal to even own a Bible or discuss religion. International cafes a wonderful ministry here on a Friday night. But most of us in our streets, in the shops where we shop, and the places where we work there are people from around the world we can welcome internationals we can reach the nations without even getting a visa thirdly learn and pray um, maybe you'll uh, start reading and praying through our mission directory or maybe we read one of those books learn more about the, the work of, the, of, of Christ around the nation so that you can pray more effectively and get excited by what God is doing Fourthly, send. Help to send missionaries. These guys, these guys are only able to go because of the finance of the church. And so when you give, you help to send. And it's wonderful to be involved. But finally, go. Uh, some here should go. Over the years, a number have. And it may be it's you that needs to go next. But what will your response be this week? For each of us, I guess it'll be different. But where does it bite for you? Each of us must choose how to live our lives. Uh, Will the truth of God's love and God's wrathful judgment shape my life? Or will the worldly desire for comfort be the thing that ultimately determines how I live? How will you live this week? And as the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years, that shapes the legacy of what your life will be. In a world where the love of God is an offer and the wrath of God has a solution, the salvation of Jesus Christ, what will the legacy of your life be in a world whose only hope is Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the glorious gospel message of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that in in this gospel we see your love poured out your rich, undeserved love. Thank you that whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever we feel about ourselves, that in Jesus Christ, we can know your love. We don't have to deserve it or earn it. You love us when we're sinners. Father, thank you too that there is a solution to the judgment we all fear, that we no longer need to live in dread of what is to come, for in Jesus, all the punishment has been taken. Father, help us to trust in that truth. Help us to understand it more that we would feel it and rejoice in it. And having done so, help us to be those who care enough to share it with others and in particular with the nations where it is not known. And we ask this for the great glory of our great Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.